Welcome to Age Sojourner. It's hosted by yours truly. And uh, I'm the pastor of Grace Net Community Church, if you didn't know that already, in Wellington, New Zealand. And uh, each week I am joined on this great sojourn of mine uh, by one of a few different co-hosts, uh, usually around three, kind of dropped down to two these days. But uh, Nick Cleveley is joining me today, and he's, uh, as you know, one of the regular guys on the show. He's the pastor of Grace, uh, Covenant of Grace Baptist Church in Timaru, and uh, you can get him uh, at his website there. Um, I'll have that on the show notes. And then uh, just to say also, the music on the podcast was written by Jeremy Casella, and uh, that's Indelible Grace. And you can listen to them on Spotify. So go check them out. Also, go check out our website at twoagesojourner.com where we try and keep it basically up to date. And uh, give us a rating for crying out loud if you like the show. Give us money too if you want. Send us a donation. I'll send you my bank account. You can throw it straight in there. Um, but in all seriousness, uh, here we are. And uh, sorry about last week. If you were tracking with us on that baptism thing, um, I was sick. So I bailed. It's my fault. But we had some great feedback, even though it was such a, I thought, quite a lame discussion. <laughs> <laughs> was, Obviously we were, not a topic. Uh, yeah, it's a perennial issue, isn't it? Um, but we're keen to get back at it and just talk a little bit more about uh, Greg Welty's article. Um, just keep keep the feedback coming. I'm just racking it up. I'm just storing it in this one, one giant folder, and we'll get to it eventually. Uh, but yeah, I've appreciated some of the things people have said in that. We've just, um, you know, uh, I think one of the one of the things that uh, was appreciated was just the way in which there are more than just you know one particular reformed. Baptist dish view, you know, you've got a whole whole bunch of them to look at there and just uh, some of the nuance. But uh, that said, um, I know many requests to um, actually interact with 1689 federalism, you know, so so we'll get there. Of course, we have to. I mean, now it's on the map and uh, we will. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. But uh, let's cover the basics first. And really, I, you know, as much as I want to, you know, interact with with that, it's like I'm not on a crusade to, you know, get a pound of flesh from from the 1689 Federalists. Um, I just really want an opportunity to flesh out a little bit more of a, uh, our own view. And um, and as far as that will interact naturally with uh, the 1689 Federal view, I mean, uh, you know, be good to do. I think particularly on things like the Abrahamic Covenant and and so forth when we get there. And, and we'll just bring it up as uh, there are any nuances that come up. And I know there's uh, Sam Rennie has just done some recent stuff uh, that I've kind of had an opportunity to check out, but a few links have been thrown my way um, to have a look at that. It looks really good. So, you know, we'll, we'll just do that. We'll go through those articles and Nick and I will just take it, take it low and slow, you know, the way we always like to do. <laughs> um, all right, Nick, you're looking fancy on Skype, bro. We've got a yeah, new man, background. My new, my new camera. Dude, you I, can't found, I ordered that. it during lockdown, and it took it arrived like last week. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, we're on Skype. That's always a, a risky biz, but let's hope it works. Let's hope yeah, it works. Sure. Um, now, what I've what I've wanted to do, or what I've asked you to do, is just because you did have a look at that whole article. I still haven't gone around to actually looking at it, so I will benefit from this discussion as much as anyone listening right now. It sort of takes me back to our patriarchal discussions, you know. Just, sort of <laughs> just go with it. But yeah, you're the you're the resident e expert on uh, wealthy, so let's have it, bro. What's happening? Uh, I'm um, the recently read person on wealthy. <laughs> well, <in> my book, <laughs> that's expertise right yeah. there. <laughs> Alrighty. So uh, what we were doing is we were just beginning to look at uh, the whole issue of the problems of continuity and discontinuity and the Judaizing of the New Testament and the Christianizing of the Old Testament, 
And uh, we began lo uh, last time to look at Jeremiah 31. Um, now what we're doing is we're just sort of continuing to look at just some of those problem verses that really just highlight the problem that they have in these two areas. Uh -huh. So we've looked at Jeremiah 31. What I want to look at next is John 1 verse 11 to 13. And uh, what I've got here, I haven't got the, the, the verses. If anyone wants to grab the verses and read along, they're welcome to. I've just got a few summaries, uh, notes that I took reading Welty's article. So uh, John 1 verse 11 to 13, Jesus came to those who were already considered children of God in the Old Testament sense. And what we mean by the Old Testament sense is there's an Old Testament view of, adop uh, of adoption where Israel is the son of God as reflected in Hosea 11 verse 1 and Romans 9, 2 to 4. Uh, namely, he came to his own, the Jews. But John 1, 11 to 13 indicates a change in who is now the adopted son of God. It's those who believe, not those born of believing parents. Um, they're described as born of God, not of their parents. Um, the Old Testament allowed for people who were not born of God to be called adopted and belonging to him. The New Testament changes that. So this is just an area where they have been too flat in their reading, mm -hmm. moving mm -hmm. from the old to the new. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's just a key verse which highlights uh, the shortfall of their view. Man. Yeah, I think, um, and just maybe before we go on as well, I mean, um, you know, we've, I see Welty's got a few points here on, on uh, Jeremiah. And uh, I'm almost convinced we didn't cover anywhere near enough ground. Oh, no, to, definitely. So we'll have to recover that. We'll have to come back to Jeremiah. So just relax if you uh, are looking at this thinking, what the heck, what the heck am I, Jack? You know? Um, yeah. So um, Jeremiah's huge, though. I mean, it really is. And there is a lot to talk about there. But, you know, yeah, we're just we, sort of, uh, we said so much last week. I thought, ah, we'll let Jeremiah rest and get on yeah, to the other we'll verses. Yeah, we'll come back to it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's, that's a good move. Now, this is an interesting one, this uh, John 1. Um, I, uh, I, it's big for me, you know, I really do. I feel like this is one of the massive things that happens, you know, just, um, recently had an up, well, I'm preaching through the gospels, you know, in overview form at least, but, you know, I spent five years in the gospels, you know, going through that very carefully. And, you know, these were these, these little moments, you know, where it just, it struck me again and again, how th this is the thing that's changed, you know, this is the, this is the number one thing when set against especially the religious leaders of Israel, I mean, even just from John the Baptist's ministry, I think we did mention that last time, here he is laying the axe at the root, here he is saying, listen, it's only those who are now found identified with this uh, judgment ordeal, you know, that, that are actually yeah. repenting, that are actually being baptized. Uh, those are the ones, I mean, anyone who's holding on to their Abrahamic lineage at this point is just, you know, toast. You know, it's the end of the the old covenant, as it were. And, um, and so even though, you know, we know that much of the debate goes beyond the Old Covenant to the Abrahamic Covenant, and we see a, a deep continuity there, uh, yeah, as you said, you know, it's just where we're, they're a little bit flat for us, you know, yeah. in terms of that unfolding progression. And we're just seeing that even with that basic sense of parallel to Abraham, there's just something extra that happens by way of administration here, something closer to the, to the nub. It's not heaven. It's not the full scaled, you know, everyone knows the Lord, but it is, it is, there's something that at least reflects the reality that in the yeah. covenant of redemption, you know, now already all know the Lord. And I, I don't like it when people look at this uh, kind of passage, you know, as, as, pre, as Peter Baptist and they, and they say to us, well, you know, 
um, you know, how on earth, you know, if, if the logic goes like this, you can never tell what's going on in someone's heart anyway. You know, you're not God. You can't tell if someone has been born of the spirit, you know, and, and so, you know, by that rationale, <clears throat> we can baptize everyone, including unbelieving babies. <laughs> Uh -huh. do, you see, do you see the big leap there? Exactly, um, wrong conclusion. That, you know, it doesn't really work like that because we're saying, that we agree, that's fine. No one's trying to know anyone's heart. But we're just saying as a result of the theological truth going on here, yeah. uh, you know, there is something by way of administration that at least should reflect this final stage. 100%. I mean, as the local church, we are administering the visible church, not the invisible. Mm -hmm. And so it's credible confession that we're seeking to acknowledge. Mm -hmm. So who do we know who is believed? It's those who make a confession of faith, show the fruits. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones we're going to be baptizing. But those are the ones we're going to be baptizing, not those who have no confession, who are simply yeah. born to believing parents. Right. Uh, it's like, okay, so we can't figure out what's going on in your heart, so let's get out a water pistol and just shoot everyone. <laughs> you know, it just doesn't work. No. So anyway, um, all right. That's, cool. Uh, so just uh, yeah. the, the, the next verse he throws out there. So we, mm -hmm. we've looked at John 1, verse 11 to 13. Um, it's very much in the same vein. He, he looks at Romans 9, verse 2 to 4, and especially Romans 8, verse 15 to 17. And uh, he, he says there, Paul notes a type of adoption and sonship that included those who could turn away and were unregenerate. So that's the Old Testament from Romans 9. The New Testament, which has a spiritual adoption that is based on election, regeneration, and the indwelling of the Spirit, these are the ones who are taught by the Spirit to say, Father, and these are the ones who cannot fall away. These are the ones who are called and will one day be glorified. And this is a different adoption. At least, um, it's uh, where in the Old Testament we would, allow, we would say that their view of adoption had those who were elect and regenerate, but also had under the title of the sons of God, those who were non-elect and non-regenerate. In the New Testament, it is, it is only it's only the inner circle that are defined as the sons of God. And to push the boundaries on this one, and this is where we can maybe just spin with a little Kleinianism. I don't know anyone that actually holds to this. I think I've mentioned this before, but I think it it um, it's it's a nice thought experiment anyway. You know, because this it, it it goes together with some of the apostasy passages and the debates surrounding the externality or internality of the the covenant of grace and and you know a lot of I know for a lot of people that's what gets them to rethink the whole Baptist model that there seems to be some sort of you know despite the protestations of the Baptists there seems to be some ongoing level of externality and ability to apostatize and you know turn away from that covenant status. Um, in the New Testament. Um, now, you know, I, I think that the issue is related to, to baptism, but what I often say and what I often think to myself is like, well, I don't buy it, but let's say you had to just adopt a full-scale Kleinian model at that point and just go, um, yeah, yeah, fine. We just have an external covenant of grace, and there are among those external covenant members, you know, those who will ultimately be uh, you know, uh, saved and show themselves uh, ultimately saved in the covenant of redemption in eternity. Um, okay, that's fine. Do that. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, it still doesn't give you, I mean, we'd just be baptizing after profession of faith anyway. And all, all, all that's proving is that, you know, when there's an apostasy, there is an actual covenant status breaking. It still doesn't actually get at the, the, the root of whether you should baptize those prior to profession of faith or not. Yep. So, you know, I, I don't know anyone that does hold that, but like, you know, I just think that's helpful to throw out there just so as to not get lost in the, 
in the, the heart of it, it just, all. It just highlights that there's nothing putting forward the positive view of saying, therefore, baptize babies. I know, exactly, yeah. And, you know, it reminds me a little bit of the whole, um, you know, this happens often. This is crazy. It just happened recently as I was talking to someone. Uh, you know, sometimes, you know, Peter Baptist feels if I could just get you to admit that, you know, you're baptized, you, you, could, you could baptize a child, you know, then it's over. But we have no problem baptizing children. It's it, the issue is not children. The issue is credible profession of faith. Yes. And it's just like sometimes that's a real like mind bender, you know, because, <laughs> you know, the, the, if you don't keep that straight, it's like the, the, the argumentation just goes all over the place. And it feels like if you slam the wine, it's like all of a sudden you've got this whole big argument. And I feel like the a lot of the Peter Baptist literature relies on that accumulative case stuff, you know. So you've got to keep this central issue in play so that you know when it is that they've made a point. Uh, that you appreciate and need to think about, uh, yeah. you know. So I mean, even like a household baptism that involved children, you know, that still wouldn't. That's fine, you know. That doesn't say anything about about infants at all. The verses where it may have occurred all say they all rejoiced, they all spoke in tongues, they all it's believed. It's no a, problem with kids there either. If, yeah. if that's what happened, yeah, exactly. So things like that, we just have to stay, uh, keep straight on on, and we'll bring that out as we go. Um, so that's good. Uh, cool. Romans. So that's that, that's the end of the first section of Wealthy's article. Okay. Where he he looks at key verses which highlight the the flat readings that they have or the wrong readings that they have. This, his second uh, section does it looks at this issue. Significant discontinuities in the meaning and function of the covenant signs. And here, Welty points out the errors of the Peter, Peter Baptists in overlooking significant discontinuities in both the meaning and the function of the covenant signs. Okay, so mm -hmm. he's going to say, yes, there's a connection between baptism and circumcision, mm -hmm. but you're underplaying the discontinuity. You're seeing yep. too much continuity. So uh, first point that he makes under this heading is, the meaning of the sign of circumcision is not identical to the meaning of the sign of baptism. There is overlap, but there is not parity. Okay? That's, mm -hmm. that's a very important statement. It's probably a statement that's quite ambiguous that everyone could probably agree on. Yep. yep but yep. it's, you know, how much? Yeah, at very, at very minimum, you know, the, the Peter Baptist is going to say, well, you know, discontinuity in the, the nature of the sign, uh, you know, where circumcision was a blood, it involved blood, you know, it, it represented that that blood uh, thing that was going on all the way through. Girls were excluded, uh, now they're included. Right, totally, all those the actual subjects, exactly. Um, and so everyone's admitting that at some level, it's just to what degree. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So um, what he does is he looks at Romans 4.11. And Colossians 2, 11 and 12. And uh, these verses, of course, hint at the connection between baptism and circumcision. There are those who refuse to see this connection. I think we are very happy to say there are, there's definitely a progression and a connection. There's a, a single development going through and into the New Testament from circumcision to baptism. Yeah, like, let me stop you there. And just, that must fall away. So, <laughs> like, I'm totally happy to talk, talk about baptism as a covenant sign. That was, you know, it's the ongoing covenant sign for the, the the administration of the covenant of grace. Are you happy with that language? I know a lot of people aren't. I'm happy. Yeah, depending on what you mean, I would be very happy with it. Well, you know what I mean. I, I suppose is just that you've got, you know, you got the two things in the in the new covenant, the two sacraments, right? Um, Visible things, right? Literally signs. They <laughs> signify stuff. 
<laughs> exactly. So, you know, it's hard to get away from. And, and of course, you do have a profound parallel to, um, you know, like the Lord's Supper, or at least um, the Passover and circumcision, right? It's just hard to get away from that. Um, so I know, like I mentioned that because I, I'm pretty sure Jewett has no problem with that language and just moving across. I'm not sure what Welty does exactly, but I think he was more or less on the same track. And then, um, and then I know, like, like everyone else almost has some weird part about this. Like, you know, I remember reading through Fred Malone's book, and it just this is where it got crazy funny for me. It's like this, like they want to relate the the baptism thing, at least the circumcision thing, to the to the the sealing of the spirit and the circumcision of the heart, yeah. and therefore, and therefore, baptism is not the equivalent. You know, you know where I think that comes from? Where? John Murray. Wow, interesting. Because John Murray in Romans six talks about baptism not being anything outward, but but it's the inward spiritual baptism. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, those guys were all drinking deeply from Murray at that point. Yeah, so. I mean, there's Same. there's uh, there is another view which is now prominent in Reformed circles, both in Baptist and Peter Baptist circles, where people like Sinclair Ferguson contra Murray would say that um, when Paul talks about baptism in Romans six, he's literally talking about water baptism. He's mm. not talking about, uh, but because he's using synecdoche, mm. he's implying all that John Murray wants to say it means. That Murray wants to sort of, almost in a fear of sacerdotalism, remove any physical elements and make it purely spiritual. Interesting. And yeah. uh, I, just in my reading of, of, of a lot of Reformed Baptists, I feel like Murray's shadow. Mm, just, mm. just looming over that one. Oh, absolutely. Okay, totally. Oh, that's helpful. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, um, yeah, that's all. That's all messed up. So, I don't have a problem with. I mean, you know, if you draw a diagram, you know, I, I think probably the Presbyterians would agree on this one. You know, you've got if you got, you know, here's the cross, and then on the one side is circumcision, the other side is baptism. They're both pointing to the same thing. I agree with that 100%. So, you know, just maybe going back to uh, his statement here, the meaning of the sign of circumcision is not identical to the meaning of the sign of baptism. I'm not sure, you know, I uh, I totally, you know, there there is significant overlap. <laughs> really. May, I would almost say complete overlap at that point. But yeah. it's it's just, you know, how he develops that in well, terms of... Well, let me tease out what he means. Because yeah, uh, you know, there are statements and there's how you interpret those statements. So he says this. Yep. Circumcision signified certain promises baptism does not. In other words, circumcision uh, sealed the various promises that were given specifically to Abraham. Yeah. So if you think about what, what circumcision sealed yeah. and openly signed, it was that uh, physical descendants, as many as the stars in the sky. Mm -hmm. So when you get baptized, is that part of your promise? No, that was no. something particular to Abraham. Yep. We might be able to put in a reverse one as it comes from Christ, you know, as it mm -hmm, relates to Christ, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, that Abraham would be the father of many nations, that kings would come from Abraham's body, um, an everlasting possession of the land of Canaan. Um, you know, so these were certain promises that were attached to circumcision that baptism doesn't have those promises attached to it. So... There is a, a definite relationship between circumcision and baptism, but there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes with circumcision that does right. not come over yeah. to be a part of baptism. And that's right. what so, so the typological administration part pretty much of the covenant of grace is so, I mean, outwardly, moral Israelites would cherish these physical aspects and enjoy them under the old covenant. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you were a moral Israelite and you obeyed the Mosaic covenant, you would have a fulfillment of, of these of Abraham's promises to you. Now, 
there were spiritual blessings to be enjoyed as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Physical blessings could be enjoyed without experiencing spiritual ones. Yeah, totally agreed. By the and of the corporate identity of Israel, yeah. which is not part of what's, what's going on in the new covenant. Yeah. And I know it's certainly when we're thinking about the Mosaic covenant there, you know, at least from that point on, you know, every Kleinian's on board with that, you know, uh, yeah. surely, you know. And prior to that, though, uh, it gets a little bit more complicated, I think, in that, you know, obviously you have this, you know, they did, they all died without the land. There was no anything, you know. So yeah, what but I, they... think, I, think that, I think there are natural, miraculous, theocratic blessings attending Abraham's family. Sarah was a babe. <laughs> she was a babe at old age. At old age, but I, I believe that she was miraculously preserved. Totally. And Just so like the Israelites' of... shoes didn't wear out for 40 years. Yeah, Sarah didn't wear out for forty years, as it were. Yeah, um, just you know, um, a, a so sort there of was nucleus. some external, physical, material blessing that accompanied Abraham. He was rich. Mm. He, mm. he was able to accumulate wealth. He didn't have the fertility aspect. Mm-hmm. That's because the Lord had a plan for his barrenness. Mm-hmm. But um, there were definitely other external markers, right, which were part of the Abrahamic promise, even at so. There's a lot yeah. more in common with the mosaic and the Abrahamic on on those issues. Yeah, yeah, it was sort of setting the playing field for what would later happen uh, with yeah. the mosaic covenant. So it's not, it's not. You know, I would I would agree with with Kleinians in that it's it's not the the covenant of works that starts there. I'm not I'm not with the the Federalist 1689 Federal Vision guys. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, oh, I just man. had to throw it in there once. <laughs> um, and. Um, I, I see, I'm not I'm not with them on that, but um, I think it is also important to recognize that yeah you've got these um, beginnings of a typological administration, typological precisely because they're setting it up for the Mosaic Covenant, and uh, and that you know that typological element I think no one would deny is 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 um, you know it's working at a different um, playing field. It's it's a, it's an overlay to the Covenant of Grace. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, <clears throat> he goes on to say this: all those in the New Covenant experience all those in the new covenant mm-hmm. experience the promises and the spiritual of the, uh, the spiritual blessings related to the new covenant mm-hmm. all physical blessings that are part of the new covenant namely a new body and a new creation will also be enjoyed by all of the elect mm-hmm. so um every blessing will be experienced by every participant of the new covenant mm. but uh yeah physical and, and, and spiritual are separated in the old covenant where some only got some mm. Hey, let me uh, let me also say to anyone listening, you know that's that really annoying buzz that happens every now and again. That's Nick's fault, and so I'm just I'm just saying that's not me. It's it's you know I, I clean I, my stuff up around you. I it's have a fan. Nick's line. Yeah. I have a fan. <laughs> it's noisy. You have one noisy fan. Yeah, it's my computer fan. <laughs> there goes your one fan. Um, exactly. So all right, now listen. Um, <laughs> The thing, the thing about um, uh, that as well is just that you know when we say you know they were part of the, the you know every every new covenant member will experience those blessings of the new creation etc. You know that's one of the reasons I don't go along with an an external new covenant where you know let's say someone falsely professes faith is visibly part of the church, yeah. you can't say that about that guy. You know he 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 will fall away and thus show that he was never truly one of uh, uh, the church to begin with. Um, I don't think that there is a um, any external, you know, you know, often Peter Baptist wants to talk about, um, you know, hey, it was a blessing, though, you know, that they attended 
they got to receive the benefits and blessings of the external covenant community at that even during their time you know as a christian and and so tasted the heavenly gift and all those things i, I don't i don't think that that is what's happening um you know because it, it appears to be happening like that and it, sure i mean yeah i mean for sure from from the outward uh, uh side of things but in terms of um the equivalent there because what's driving that is like the equivalent of the old covenant reality so so you want to say well in the old covenant you know they could they could be in the land they could enjoy it they could be blessed and uh, blessed and and still um not be believers and they'll say no well it's the same amongst the you know the external physical visible church in the in the new covenant you could be part of it and enjoy it but I mean, it's just sort of like miss. It feels like it misses the whole thing for me. Firstly, you know, likely that's coming from an American sort of standpoint or someplace where the church is doing really well, and it's a really good good thing to be part of the external visible church. It's going to bring you lots of blessings. It might get you a, a discount in your bookstore and you know at your seminary and all that sort of thing. But you know, in in most other places, you you get no political kudos or or uh, any sort of. Uh, you know, extra little blessings to, for, from going to church on Sunday. It's just bringing woes upon you at that level. Um, and and I think, you know, that makes it easier to see that really the, the blessings are spiritual and there aren't any blessings unless you believe and are actually participating in those yeah. the, those things, you know, the, the foretaste of those things that you'll ultimately experience. Um, so, yeah, you could say it very superficially, like, okay, you know, people that come to church get good friends, and, you know, but I Do we want to nuance it, though, in the case of someone like Judas, like prophesying, casting out demons, like there's a there's a genuine experience of power, though it's not in the yep. salvific sense. Oh, totally. <clears throat> absolutely. So I think, um, and that's where all those, uh, and this kind of moves into a different, well, I suppose it's kind of related with the apostasy passages, but for me anyway, I put all of that in uh, that that is a unique instance that's that's uh you know the the blasphemy of the spirit for example the tasting of the heavenly gift the 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 apostles doing miracles and you know signs and wonders and all that you've got something going on that's that's utterly unique at that point and so um i think it's possible for them to have experienced something spiritual so but you dodge you dodge the apostasy passages by claiming cessationism uh, more or less, yeah. It's more nuanced than that. Thanks. But <laughs> uh, but but at the same time, um, you know, I think I think even even in those sort of unique apostolic days, I don't know that you have any blessings of the new covenant flowing through them necessarily at that point. You know, yeah. um, like even I think for I've got, a, I've got a slightly different approach to that, but uh, maybe for another time. I mean, he was hanging out with Jesus. That would be yeah. solid. That would be a yeah, solid exactly. blessing. I think what I mean, I, I think the way that the Peter Baptist would usually approach it is they would say there's external blessings and participation, and the, the unbelieving covenant child has the same sort of experience. And I think that's what they're sort of working towards. Totally. And yeah, I don't know, just not seeing that either. You know, <laughs> it's it's just, um, yeah, okay, good. They get a solid, it just gets too general. You know, it becomes like, a well, they had a good solid home and a stable environment and good friends. And, you know, and they will if, be held accountable for that to, to those who've been given much, much will be required. But is that a specifically, I've tasted the new covenant external blessings and then departed from it? I don't think so. It just, it strikes me as thoroughly yeah. different. You know, Visibly, it appears to be the case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it feels it feels strained. The whole idea feels really strained. I mean, the new covenant is very specific about what we're talking about over here. It's heaven 
foreshadowed. It's heaven foretasted yeah. at least. Exactly. And and you know anything short of that is just I'm not. It doesn't seem to work with the tenor of the of the new covenant. You know, even the blessings that we experience in obedience. You know that kind of language. You know where if you like don't have adul- uh, commit adultery and you are faithful, obviously you can have a blessed marriage. You know, and then and then they're like, well, if you just if you just there we go. There's your external blessings in the new covenant. Yeah. You're blessed upon obedience. Like Israel is blessed upon obedience in the land. And I'm going, no, no, that's just something else. That's the, yeah. we're in the realm of like common grace, just Proverbs, really. You know, at the end of the day. Um, you know, the, the guy who the guy it's who's flatten, wise, it's flattening the word blessing. It's just there saying is. there's salvific blessing and hey, there's all these other blessings as well. And they're just quite similar and there's no yeah, real exactly, difference. Because we're just trying to get them in there. Yeah. So no, no problem to call them blessings as long as we're not talking a technical discussion, you know, in this in this context uh, to try and create an externality in the new covenant that's equal to the old covenant and its yeah. external blessings. Yeah. Oh, good. All righty. Well, the uh, second point that he makes, uh, just carrying on looking at the discontinuity between circumcision and baptism. He said, uh, baptism did not replace circumcision as to its function among the covenant people of God. Jesus' command to baptize was to baptize disciples who follow Christ and his teaching, not the children of believers. Okay, so there's this, the way that circumcision functioned. It functioned in a family capacity in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, it's disciple-based. You know, it's mm-hmm. all about believers and those who follow and those who come disciples and those who commit themselves to Christ. Yeah, And uh, even as we look at the rest of the New Testament practice of baptism, it confirms this. So um, he says here, household baptisms will, will be dealt with shortly. And um, he just raises a number of problems for those who insist that circumcision has replaced baptism. He looks at Timothy's circumcision. He looks at Paul, uh, in Acts 21, Paul tolerating Jewish Christians who still circumcise their kids. Mm-hmm. He looks at the Council of Jerusalem and the silence about baptism replacing circumcision, if that was the case. And likewise, the Galatian heresy could have been easily refuted by just showing that baptism has replaced circumcision. Mm. Um, so he just he just speaks, he just shows how those silences, although it's terrible to argue from silence, do seem to to come together in a harmony at that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. All right. So the, the third section of his paper looks at uh, the Peter Baptist misuse of key biblical texts, and this is where he sort of hits on the. The proof texts and just offers a few short yet insightful comments on each one. So the first one is Acts 2, 38 and 39. So Peter Baptist used this verse to say that God has a special blessing for children, which sets them apart from unbelievers' children and puts them in the covenant. Mm, it's kind of what we were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So Welty stresses, looking at these two verses. How the three parties of you, your children, and those from afar must be taken together as called. So there's this umbrella term called, which should apply to all three. Mm -hmm. And if so, then whether it's referring to the external call or the internal call, this text either proves too little or too much for their Mm -hmm. case. Mm -hmm. So if the call is referring to the external call, then all who are far off are included and shouldn't be baptized simply by hearing the gospel's external call. So it can't mean that. Mm-hmm. And if it's the internal call, this is talking of God's elect and does not allow for all believers' children to be indiscriminately baptized because they're not all elect. Mm-hmm. So unless you're willing to assume election for all covenant children, which is unbiblical, unless you're federal vision, mm-hmm. um, then it proves too much or too little mm-hmm. uh, if you just focus on this notion of call in that passage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's those are his comments there. 
Anything you want to add? No, that's good. I mean, yeah, this is um, it's a big one, and it kind of it works together with the tenor of a lot of the other kind of thing that we see. Um, you know, when the, this idea gets uh, neglected a little bit, like you know, the idea is that everyone's repenting and believing, right? That's the that's the the context in which all of this is delivered. You see straight afterwards, they repent and then they're baptized and they're added yeah. to the church, uh, and then as you said earlier, the household baptisms are brought up. But the context is that everyone's rejoicing and everyone's you know being added to the church. There's no word in which anything is happening differently, other yeah. than a direct continuation of this John the Baptist styled. You know, uh, repent basically is is the idea. You know, um, I suppose, um, and, and I think it's definitely um, something. You know, I mean, sometimes you'll actually see. I know in Michael Horton's book, for example, in uh, the God of Promise, he just like quotes half of the verse. He just literally stops there before it talks about it, and all of who are far off. You know, yeah. So uh, you often see that kind of thing, and it's just I realize they're not always you know quoting that in a polemical context against Baptists. And they want to focus on the you and your children part, but I think um, at the end of the day, it, you got to be careful with that because that there is a logic here that you are. I, I don't think there's anything. Um, I've never read yet read anything convincing against um, against that argument. So uh, you know, I think it has to be reckoned with. The other, the other thing, though, is maybe you know we'll probably deal with this incrementally as we go. Is just the you know the most persuasive idea. Mm-hmm. When it comes to the inclusion of your children, for me has always been uh, Klein's argument because it sort of removes it from much of what we're talking about. It, it sort of brings it together with the John the Baptist ethos, and it, it kind of finds a way not, not to have to deal with the the issue of what exactly baptism does for the child, the special promise that sets them apart. He just takes it right out of those categories, and uh, he talks about. You know, just a matter of consecrating. You know, really, as I thought about it, it's exactly the way some Baptists would talk about baby dedications. You know, that's what that's actually the way Klein talks about. <laughs> it sounds crazy <laughs> to say, but but baptism, you know, and um, and he he comes up with the most profound case imaginable for baby dedications. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel kind of bad that I don't dedicate babies, but still, um, <laughs> you know, basically that's the idea. You know, it like it's just. You know, this family thing, it stays in place. That's why Peter says what he says. That's why the household baptisms happen in his mind. Because, you know, what what the, as the vassal comes to the suzerain, so he commits everything in his care to the suzerain. That's what he's doing. He's basically dedicating his babies. And, and they're not blessed in their setting apart in some sort of strange, unique externality way, but rather that they are, are simply at that point included as part of the covenant and therefore consecrated, you know? So it makes sense. It makes the most sense as an argument. But it just isn't what baptism means, <laughs> in my in my opinion, you know. So it's make, it's a great argument. It's the best argument, but it's just not what baptism means. So we'll we'll come back to all of that, and I suppose intertwined with all of that is the legitimacy of the household principle, you know. In in denying all of this um, as a family unit thing, you know, I think one of the things I feel quite, you know, we're not at all. It's it's you know in tune with what we were saying earlier. We're not at all saying that there's no household authority principle. There is. We're just saying it's not—it's not the grounds for baptism, you know, in the, in the new covenant. That's the simple reality. It's not like there's no family solidarity. There is. It's just not the grounds for the, for baptism. Uh, it's not like we're not consecrating our kids. We are. It's just not the grounds for baptism. And so, really, that's what it keeps coming down to for me. Um, you know, all of these things are good. 
but they, they don't form the, the cumulative case that they need to to be able to link up with what the New Testament is saying baptism is. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, as I look at Acts 2, and it's a verse that I've tried to take quite seriously, <clears throat> I appreciate that it sits, stands at the gate of the book of Acts as the beginning of the practice for how the gospel will move forward mm. and how the apostles incorporate people into the church. Um, so in many ways, it's it's one of the more important verses of where, mm. just because of where it's situated. Mm, I and so. I'll ask myself this question: Why would he say you and your children? Mm. Yeah. What's what's yep. the underlying theological assumption that's being revealed by that throwaway comment, "you and your children"? You know, it's it's it, there does seem to be some reason why he does that. And I, as I've wrestled with that, you know, you've got one of two choices: you can either come with a theological. The mm -hmm. theological context, assuming mm -hmm. continuity between Old and New Testament, mm -hmm. and say, well, there must be like Abraham and his seed. Mm -hmm. It's you and your children. Or like and Noah and his family. Or... Yeah, I mean, that sounds pretty good. That feels good. Like... It feels biblical. I mean, that, there seems to be a, a ready-made pattern for that. But Noah and his family were adults, though, right? Boom. <laughs> we'll, come, we'll, we'll say more on that just now. Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, the, the thing that stood out for me is not the theological context by assuming continuity, but the exegetical context. And uh, Peter beforehand in Acts chapter 2 around verse 17 talks about your sons and your daughters prophesying, mm -hmm. how the Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. So as you look at those categories of you, your children, and, the, and everyone who's afar off that God is calling, it's you, your sons and daughters, and all flesh. Mm -hmm. So why does why does Peter say you and your children? It's not because he's assuming continuity between Abraham and your seed. It's because he's seeing a fulfillment of Joel's promises. And here's here's the clincher if that's the case. If if we're going to take the exegetical context and not assume a theological context, mm. sons and daughters prophesying are not infants. Right. It's 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 an older expression of children in the context. Mm. There are no mm. the, the only children in the context are people who are able to articulate. Um, understandable thought. Yeah, so adult children in that sense are in view. <clears throat> well, yes. Yeah. Um, just from that, that that basic context. But then also, I think one of the things that, I don't know, it feels kind of obvious in many ways, is that why include children? Well, because the same thing applies to your children. You know, and like if anything, it seems like the opposite point of, hey, just assume the, child, the children of Abraham just kind of walk on through you know, without without themselves having to appropriate this gospel message and themselves being cut to the heart and themselves repenting. You know, it's like as the Gentile that's far off and you, so your children is the idea. You know, it almost feels to be exactly the opposite of, of you know, uh, even just driving the reason behind that wording, you know. Yeah, for sure. Um, I so, think they would anyway. probably say that, I mean, the way that the, the Peter Baptist mind works is they would immediately go back to Jesus <clears throat> And they would say, well, the disciples learned their lesson when Jesus rebuked them for not letting the little children come. So now they're yeah. including the children. <laughs> so, <laughs> see, lesson learned. Now they're including the kids. No, yeah, it's, okay. it's exegetical context. Yeah. You know, your sons and daughters are prophesying, you and your children. I think that's, to, to my mind, that seems to be the most honest. Because, I mean, they're, they're all possible options. They all sound biblical. But which is, which is, which is the most reasonable, given, yeah. the, given the context? Yeah, I'm just thinking of Spurgeon's sermon. What did he say? Bring them to Jesus, not the font. <laughs> you know, bring the little children to Jesus, not the font. Um, but, uh, you, you know, on that same point, I mean, you kind of, a lot of it goes, I think one of the things I would have in mind that, that most um, Peter Baptists that I've talked to uh, will say in response to that, and that they're like, well, you're saying essentially that the blessing is growing 
it's going from the greater to the lesser. If you've heard that argument before. Well, but he deals with that at the end. He calls that he? sentimental argumentation. Right. Yeah. Well, even because basically what we're saying is, you know, they're they're in their mindset. They're me and my family. You know, this is for me and my my family, right? Yeah. And now we're coming along, going, no, no, no. This is for you and your family if they repent. But potentially, we're driving a sword between you and your family. Mm-hmm. You know that that's what we're saying. And they go, oh, well, then you know, um, that's good. That's taking this great big blessing in in the Jude- Judaistic mind and um, turning it into something that's kind of like halved and chopped. But what is the blessing? You know, what is the blessing itself? Is the blessing that you have a family unit go through in an external covenant? Or is the blessing that now that the fulfillment of that external covenant has come and you and your children have part of it if you repent? Well, yeah, I don't know. It seems like just falls. And uh, I mean, Welty, Welty adds this point. He says, well, <clears throat> there's a more important relationship than you and your children. It's you and your spouse. You're literally yeah. one flesh. Literally. And if your spouse does not repent, they're not part of the covenant. So, yes, God divides marriages. God divides families in, in the sense that they don't join in the same covenant status unless they repent. Mm. And that's not, it's, it's as we get closer to the truth, the kernel has to fall away. Totally. Yeah, huge, huge. So, I'm seeing we're on 40 minutes over here. And we kind yeah, of get warmed up. I'm starting to preach right now. I'm feeling, I'm feeling the preacher in me. <laughs> um, so, and, um, and I'm seeing also what's, uh, ahead here is is looking good, so maybe we should uh, call it there. We didn't because well, we still got part three. We got yeah. So where did we get to? Part three. Yeah, okay, we're part yeah. three. So we we finished the first text. Uh, next week we'll pick up with one Corinthians seven fourteen. Yeah, brilliant. That, that make a good sort of starting point for the rest of it. Then, um, brilliant. There we go. So, find yourself a Baptist church, folks. Get stuck in. <laughs> Go to church. Get Although, to be honest, I'll, I'll say this as well. I mean, like, if I most Baptist churches that I know of, I'd probably, I'd, I'd oh, still go to Peter Baptist. Not a Baptist church. Union church. Dude. Oh, my goodness. No, please. We're please. a Baptist Union yeah. church, but don't go to, a, you know, other Baptist Union churches. No, <laughs> go, go to a Peter Baptist church. <laughs> they have the better churches. <laughs> I mean, I get fair enough. Unless it's a Roman Catholic church or an Anglican oh. church or a mainline Presbyterian. Well, you know, to be honest, sometimes I, I do a... I think I would rather go to any one of those churches than a Baptist church these days. Baptists are not doing well, folks. I'll be the first to admit it. It's just yeah. like, you know, if you manage to find a drop in the ocean, which is a Reformed Baptist church, then good on you. Well done. Go to that church. You might find that it's not the best church, but it's still, dude, it's a Reformed Baptist church. you got to hold on to something. And, um, and you know, I mean, every other Baptist church you're going to find, is I'm, I'm almost... I can guarantee you it's going to be messed up. You know, yeah. you've got the dispensational Baptists, you've got the fundamentalist Baptists, you got the, uh, you know, oh my goodness, let's just not even go there. It's just yeah. rather just go to the Reformed Church, rather just become a Peter Baptist. Forget about this. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so um, I want to keep that in view, you know, because at the end of the day, but it is tough though, right? Because if you've got this conviction and this is a this is a big existential massive problem for so many people. You know, here they are. They've got the conviction that that moves them in in a Reform Baptist direction. But that that's not usually. I mean, there's more to the story. They have to find a church, and more often than not, they can't find a church that is Baptistic and Reformed, and it's difficult. You know, you've got to give way to that as a serious problem. So, anyway, hopefully we can all be gracious with one another while we're figuring it out, and yet not not move not move away from the importance of the subject, not get cavalier about it either. 
Yeah, for sure. Like it's a visible did. church. That's what baptism defines. It's totally. important. Yeah. Totally. All right. Should we close off with the song? Let's. Okay, who's going to sing? Uh, what about uh, what about you sing? Why can't we all get along? <laughs> or... Welcome to the family. So glad you came. <laughs> Beautiful. Okay, that'll do. <laughs>